listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. All right, good morning. That's week. I know this is uh, a holiday weekend, but let's try it again. Good morning. Good morning. All right, that is much better. If you have a Bible, let's go to Isaiah. Randy, would you grab a seat, please? Preaching's about to start. Um, Isaiah chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. It is good to see you as we come to a close of our uh, series, Jesus Revealed, Finding Christ in the Old Testament. Next week, we're going to start a new series entitled Ghost Stories. It's a great title for the summer, right? And so we're going to spend four weeks talking about the Holy Ghost. Yeah, you can tell who is, uh, has a charismatic background and who doesn't. Because the Baptists are like, holy ghost, what's that? You know, and it's like everybody else is like, all right, I am excited, right? We are excited to be uh, launching a new series entitled Ghost Stories. We hope you are here for it. We're going to talk about uh, who is the Holy Spirit? What is his role in our life? What do we believe about the gifts of the Spirit? Things like tongues and prophecy and all that kind of stuff and the, and the fruits of the Spirit. And so, um, uh, man, you know, if you're anything like me, you probably grew up in the South uh, believing in the Trinity, uh, or the Trinity was the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. Uh, but it actually is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And uh, we are going to talk about him. He's not a it, it is a he, right? The Holy Spirit. And we're going to dive into that series. I hope you're able to be here. Um, I think it's going to be very beneficial for all of us. But this morning we are going to continue uh, in the series, Jesus Revealed. If you are a guest this morning, welcome. Apparently you don't have a lake house or know somebody that does. And so uh, you are here in Paragold, Arkansas. And, uh, and we are so excited to have you here. We hope that you go from feeling like guests to family as soon as possible. And um, if there's any way that we can serve you, we want to be able to do so. Um, so you can grab a, a Connect card, fill out some information about yourself, turn that into me or another one of the pastors. When you leave, you can uh, email me, jared at fellowshipparagold.com, and learn more about us uh, on our website, fellowshipparagold.com. Okay, so let's look. Isaiah chapter 6 is where we are. Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read down to verse 8. This is the word of the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And the one called to another and said, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I'm lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with his tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sins are atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, so send me. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your word that you have given us. We know that today it is active and is living, and so when we read it, we're reminded it's just as powerful as if you were standing here today speaking it to us in the flesh. I pray right now for those who are here that you have brought together, 
that we will hear this word and we will receive it through the power of your Holy Spirit and that it will transform our lives. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone here this morning who does not know you personally, that that will change before they leave today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Several weeks ago, I had an opportunity to go to Nashville, Tennessee with my wife without our kids. Can I get a hallelujah? All right, and, uh, and, and so um, one of our favorite things to do um, as a couple is to catch bands whenever they come around. There are bands that we like to catch them in, uh, in a concert. And so there were two bands that we like. Um, uh, one of them is the Griswolds, and the other one is Walk the Moon, just some pop rock bands. Okay, you can judge me if you want. Um, it's it's going to get worse as the story goes on. Cause I got some, um, and so um, anyways, we're, we're there at this concert, and there was a point where, I'll be honest, I was regretting our decision to go because... We were standing in the rain with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of teenage clones. I mean, like, literally, we were probably the oldest people there that didn't, like, have our kids with us. And everybody was dressed exactly the same. And let me just warn you, by the way, because Arkansas, we're usually, like, two years behind the fashion. Um, <laughs> fanny packs are coming our way. Like, I'm serious. They are coming back. I had not seen so many fanny packs since 1989. I mean, they were, like, on everybody. But... It's raining. Eventually, uh, we do get into the building, and we're crammed in, and we're shoulder to shoulder. The first band plays, and they did a great job. They killed it. And then the headlining band walked the moon. It was their turn to, to come up. And, and, and I'm telling you, like, the anticipation was just building, right, as we were waiting for this band to come up. And, and as we're sitting there, right, anxiously waiting for them to come on stage, um, I've got a video of it. I captured it. This is what we experienced, okay? So let's, let's throw it up there. It's about a minute long. video for a second. Now, so you can see some energy, right, starting to build. Now, I want you to go towards the end of, of the concert. And again, you may be like Randy, you may hate this music, but I promise there's a point. So bear with me, all right? Let's go to the end of the concert. This is like the, the next to last song. And I want you to just still see the energy that builds in this concert. So can we pull that up? Do we have the other video? All right, so. all right this and this thing gets even more. You can go ahead and build it back down. Some of you are like, this is Satan's music. What is this doing in a holy place like a cinema? All right, you can pull it down. That's good. That's good. That's good. All right. Now, notice, and you can pull it off the screen because it's going to be distracting. It gets, it gets even more wild. Notice something going on right here. All right? Whether you like this band or not, this is worship, right? 
these are people raising their hands, singing. I mean, they're going crazy. I literally look at one time, and there's like a girl beside me crying with her head bowed. It's like, right, I mean, like, okay. And, and here's the thing. As I watch this, I will admit, okay, there were times where I'm jumping, I'm singing as well, not as much as my wife. She was even more into it than I was, right? But as I watch this, I'm not going crazy, right? I mean, I'm pretty calm, just like the rest of you. And here's what, what I submit to you. If you don't like this band, here's the deal. If we threw your favorite band on the screen and your favorite song, the chances are you are not going to respond to anything here like you would if you were there at the concert, right? There, there's a reality that whether it comes to a concert or a ball game or a movie, there is something about personally experiencing something for yourself that is far more powerful than seeing it through the lens of someone else. Would you agree? Right? Think of the beach, for example. You can hear about the beach, right? It's one thing to hear about the beach, to see pictures of the beach, but isn't it a totally different thing to dig your toes into the sand of a beach? Right? It's one thing to hear about chocolate cake right? How good it is. Isn't it a whole other thing to experience it yourself, right? To smell the chocolate cake, right? To see, right? To taste the cake. And that's because what I want you to think about this morning is there is a major difference between a firsthand and a secondhand experience. Uh, matter of fact, when we left this concert, Megan said, you know, before this concert, I just heard these bands on your phone and I liked them. But after leaving the show, I loved them. Right? Why is that? Because she had had a personal encounter, a personal experience, and it made all the difference in the world. Now listen to me. Here's why I share all of that. One of my biggest fears as a pastor is there are some of you here this morning who have just had a secondhand experience of God. There are some of you here this morning who you grew up in a Christian home with Christian parents you have friends who are Christians. Maybe you come here each week. Maybe you've heard hundreds of sermons, but you have never yourself had a personal encounter with the God of the universe. And what you need to know this morning is there is a major difference between knowing about God and knowing Him personally. One leads to salvation and satisfaction that we're all longing for. The other leads to dullness and eventually destruction. One of them leads to a joy-filled relationship, and the other leads to a joyless religion. And so I think this morning, one of the most important questions that all of us need to, to ponder is this, is have I personally encountered the God of the universe? Have I really been swept up into his presence? Or is it possible that I have never really had a personal experience with him? And in order to answer that question, we're going to look in Isaiah chapter 6. And one of the first things I want to point out to you is right here in verse 3, there's these crazy angels. They're like the highest angels in heaven. They're, they're, they're swarming the thorn. They're called these seraphims. And they are crying out in verse 3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now the question is, what does the word glory really mean? Some of you have been in church your entire life, and you've probably heard the preacher, you know, when he gets all fired up, and he's got his little hanky, and he's wiping his face, he'll be like, glory, right? And you'll be like, yeah, like, I don't know what that means, but yeah, right? So, so what does glory really mean? Well, in the Hebrew, it literally means weight. 
So when you talk about the glory of God, what you're talking about is, is the weightiness of God. If I could put it, um, uh, the Hebrew word into an, an English word that would make sense for us, to talk about the glory of God is to talk about the essence of God. All right, when you think about the glory of God, think about the inner reality of God. Think about his attributes. Think, think about what makes God, God. When you think about the glory of God, it's his beauty, it's his love, it's his power, it's his majesty, it's his holiness, it's his wisdom, and all of his eternal attributes wrapped up into one. That is the glory of God. And in this passage we read here, Isaiah gets a glimpse of God's glory. He gets a glimpse of God's weightiness. And notice in here, look for yourself, Isaiah is not unimpressed. Isaiah is anything but bored with what he sees. Because what he sees for himself, he gets a vision of a God who is bigger and better than anything else in all of creation. And what is his response? What does he say? Woe is me. Isaiah sees the glory of God. He, he, he gets a picture of God's weightiness, and the weightiness of God moves Isaiah in a way that he has never been moved before. Think of this, when you think about the glory of God. If I was to drop a large stone in a body of water, what would happen? Absolutely. It would create ripples. It would create, create a quake. It would move the water around it, right? Because a rock is heavier than water. When you drop a rock into a water, it rearranges everything that it touches. And you see, the same is true when you encounter God. When you encounter His glory, when you encounter His weightiness, when God drops into your life, He rearranges it. He changes your life. And He doesn't just change your Sunday morning. Like, He changes everything about you. That's exactly what we see happen right here with Isaiah. Isaiah gets a glimpse of the glory of God, the weightiness of God, and it doesn't just shake the foundations we see in verse 4. It shakes up Isaiah's entire life. And one of the things we see it does is it creates in Isaiah this radical humility. Do you see it in here? He sees the glory of God. He sees his holiness. He sees his purity. He sees his perfection. And Isaiah does not see God and then just say, you know what, I'm actually a pretty good dude. I'm actually better than I thought I was. You know, God, actually, I bet you're glad that I'm here, right? Like, I'm a, I bet you're glad to have me on your team, aren't you? Is that Isaiah's response? No, what does he say? He says, woe is me. This is a prophet's way of literally pronouncing a curse on himself. You understand what Isaiah is saying? He is saying here, I deserve to die. Uh, he sees God's holiness in light of his sinfulness, and he says, I deserve punishment. I deserve the very wrath of God. He says in verse 5, Woe is me, for I am lost. You hear that language? This is a prophet. I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. Now listen, I know we live in a culture where we're all about boosting everyone's self-esteem. Right? That's why we tell little Johnny, Johnny, you can do whatever you put your mind to. No, you can't, Johnny. Johnny cannot do whatever he puts his mind to. I promise you. And if you think that I'm lying, tell little Johnny whenever he's a senior in high school when he's 5'10", 150 pounds, that he can be a defensive lineman in the NFL if he wants to. 
Not going to happen. I know, though, that's what we're all about, right? That's why we give every single kid a trophy, even if they never win a game. I don't know, why are we doing this, people? It's not the way life works. But we just don't want people to feel bad. We want people to feel good about themselves, right? But listen, here's the truth, guys. When you see God, when you see God as He really is, He crushes your self-esteem. He does. And I want you to think about this, guys. That's the way it has to be. If God really is who he says he is, how in the world could we walk into his presence and feel better about ourselves? Uh, think about it like this. Whenever I lived in Louisville, I met a guy there named Caleb Potter who went on to be my roommate. And Caleb and I had a lot in common. I had a tennis background, and we both played ping pong. And you see, when I was a college pastor, I used to wax our college students in ping pong, so I felt like I was pretty good. And, and Caleb talked a lot of trash about how good he was at ping pong. And so I was like, hey, dude, let's just settle it on the table. And so I knew I was in trouble whenever we went to the rec center. And I go to, to rent my paddle where it's like falling apart. And I look over at Caleb and he's pulling out like this $200 paddle out of his sleeve. And I'm like, uh-oh, like this is not going to be good. And within a matter of seconds, I realized like I did not even belong in the same realm as this guy. Right? I mean, I went from feeling really like, like I'm a great ping pong player to within a matter of seconds feel like I'm a really bad ping pong player right because compared to him I was compared to other college students I was great compared to him I was awful and maybe you've never played ping pong but I bet you've experienced the same thing what about when it comes to beauty right like you're all beautiful people but have there not been times where you've been around other ladies maybe other women that you're like when you look at their body their hair their face you're like I'm actually pretty ugly compared to this woman right other than other times, dudes, like maybe you feel strong, you feel fast, you feel athletic. Maybe you were a big fish in a small pond, but then you went to an all-star team or you went to a college level and you looked and said, I'm actually not as great as maybe I thought I was. This is the way Andy Runyon and Murray Watts felt last year in the MC Olympics. <laughs> For those of you that were here, maybe you remember, I mean, I mean, Murray played professional sports, Kansas City Royals, Andy played for Arkansas State Red Wolves, felt like they were great athletes, they stepped on the field with me and I beat them in home run derby and <laughs> you just, your self-image comes crashing down, right? Let me ask you this, if the presence of another human being can cause our self-image to come crashing down, what in the world makes you think that you can meet a holy God whose glory fills the earth and not see your self-image come crashing down? Isaiah sees God and he says, woe is me, I am lost. I'm lost. And then look what he says next. It's so peculiar. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. Now, why didn't Isaiah just say, I'm a man of unclean hands? Why didn't he say, I'm a man of unclean eyes or an unclean mind? Why, why does he say, I'm a man of unclean lips? And this, for the first time this week, this dawned on me. As I was diving into the passage, what I realized is this. The reason Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips, is because he is a preacher. He, he, he's a prophet. I mean, he makes his living by speaking. And the reason that he says, I'm a man of unclean lips, is listen, we've got to get this, is because when he's in the presence of God, listen to this, please focus. When he comes into the presence of God, what he realizes is the thing that he is most proud of, the thing that he thinks is his greatest asset, is actually just as broken and jacked up as every other part of his life. When we think of sin, don't we typically think of bad stuff? Drugs, murder, 
adultery. But notice in here, what does Isaiah do? Isaiah doesn't just repent of the bad stuff in his life. He repents of even the good stuff. Isaiah looks at his life and he realizes that even the things that he thought he was using for God, for the glory of God, even those very things were tainted with sin. He sees his life compared to the holiness of God. He says, man, even the good things in my life are still nothing compared to the holiness of God. It's still jacked up. And what he would go on to say is the same is true for us. Because in Isaiah 64, listen to what he says. says, even our righteousness is as a filthy rag before God. You know what that means? This is the Bible speaking, so don't get mad at me. Even on our best days, and we think we're following, or you know that we're we're firing on all cylinders, we still do not impress God. We still are nothing compared to His holiness. Because the reality is, what we see here is when you meet God, when He shines His light into your life, you see all of the dirt and all of the brokenness that has been there all along. And that's why some of you, by the way, like after you became Christians, you said, I actually feel like more of a sinner now than I was before I became a Christian. It's not that you're more of a sinner now, it's just now you're aware of how sinful you really are in light of God's holiness. When you meet God, it creates a radical humility. You go from looking down at others and saying, they're the problem with society, to saying, I'm also the problem with society. You go from thinking about everyone else's sin all the time to realizing I also am very, very sinful myself. When you meet God, listen guys, it crushes any sense of self-entitlement or pride that is remaining in your life. It absolutely crushes it. I mean, the, the weightiness of God absolutely crushes it. And so here's what that means this morning. If you've never come to a place in your life where you said, I don't deserve to live... Because of my sinfulness, I deserve the wrath of God. I deserve hell. You've never met God. You haven't. Not the God of the Bible. The reality is, guys, nobody in the Bible walks away from God with a swagger. Nobody. Everybody that meets God realizes their life is a mess, that they are broken. And for some of you this morning, you might hear that and say, man, that's super depressing. That you might hear that and be so discouraged by that. But listen, what we see in the Bible is only whenever you see your sinfulness in light of God's holiness can you experience God's graciousness, which in return will free you to experience an unshakable joy that you can find nowhere else. If you look again in Isaiah 6, Isaiah meets God. He crashes before God and then he confesses his sin to God. In verse 5 and 7, look, let's read it again. He says, after he sees God, he gets a vision of him. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his, in his hand a burning coal that he would, had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. You see what happens right here? Isaiah is absolutely wrecked by God's glory. He sees his sinfulness in light of God's holiness and it tears him down. But listen, what happens as soon as he confesses his sin, what is the response? God explodes into his life. 
This seraphim, this crazy angel, flies towards him with the fire of God in his hand. You've got to picture this. Because, I mean, Isaiah, he's used to thinking fire, wrath of God. Right in the Old Testament, the fire always represents God's wrath. He remembers Numbers 11, where God says anybody who goes into the holy presence of God and they themselves are unholy, they will be consumed with fire. And so here is Isaiah. He confesses his sin. He sees this fire coming towards him. And he probably thinks, okay, I'm a goner, like my life is about to end. But what happens? The burning coal is touched to Isaiah's lips and immediately his sins are atoned for. It says in, in, in chapter, or I'm sorry, chapter, or verse 7, we see it right here, right? Rather than God crushing Isaiah, he cleanses him. It says, your guilt, Isaiah, is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Amazing. And I want you to look at the impact this had on Isaiah's life in, in, in verse 8. It says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. One second, after being in the presence of God, Isaiah feels like he doesn't even deserve to live. And then the very next second, after confession, he is confirmed more than he ever has been in his entire life. God looks at Isaiah and he says, yes, Isaiah, you are a sinner. Yes, you are very small compared to me. But here's the deal, Isaiah, I'm running a business. I'm actually saving the world and I'm going to invite you to be a part of that now. Do you want to be a part? And I love what does Isaiah say here. Isaiah doesn't say, well, can you give me some more details on that? No, he says, absolutely. I'm in. I don't need the details. I don't need any instructions. I will do whatever you ask me to do. I will go wherever you call me to go as long as you are there with me. And why does Isaiah do that? Because listen carefully, guys. When you encounter the presence of God, when you see him as he really is, it doesn't just create a radical humility, but it creates a ravenous hunger to know God, to know more about God and to make him known to the world around you. That's what we see happen right here. Isaiah sees God. He's better than anything else in all of the world. He says, I'm willing to give up everything for the sake of being where you are. Has this happened in your life? It's happened for me when I was 20 years old. You guys have heard my story over and over again. I've grown up in a pastor's home. But it wasn't until I was 20 years old that I met the true and living God. And what's crazy is like, I mean, I literally went from never reading a book in my entire life to actually wanting to dive into scripture, to want to read, to know more about God. I actually went from worshiping a girl, like literally worshiping a girl, and feeling like I cannot live without her, to saying, you know what, I don't need her or anybody else as long as I have God. He is all that I need. Has this happened to you? Have you met a God who is so amazing that you are willing to give up everything for, that you would say, yes, he is better than sex. He is better than my kids. He is better than food. He is better than vacations. He is better than drugs. He is better than entertainment. He is better than my comfort. Have you met this God? Isaiah sees God and he realizes there is nothing better on the planet than him. And he says, you know what, God? I don't care what happens from here. I really don't care what happens from here. Wherever you want to send me, whatever you want me to do, I will go and I will do it. No questions asked. And what's amazing is that actually if you read verse 9 and following in this chapter, you see where Isaiah is sent out by God to perform a mission that God says is going to be completely unsuccessful in the eyes of the world. 
He says, Isaiah, you're going to go and you're going to preach. And by the way, everybody else, while you're preaching, they're not going to listen. You're not going to get a pat on the back. In fact, all your little ministry buddies probably won't even think you have a very successful ministry. And what does Isaiah say? I don't care. If that's what you want me to do, I will absolutely do it. I'll do it. Have you encountered this God? Have you encountered this God? I know I'm in front of a crowd, but I'm in front of a crowd of individuals. Please stop thinking about your daughter or your son or your your spouse. Have you encountered God? Some of you this morning, you're willing to serve as long as it's convenient for you. Some of you in here, you're willing to give only what you've determined you need to give, not what God's told you to give. Some of you in here, you you have no hunger for the Lord. You do have a sense of self-entitlement. And I'm not trying to be hard for the sake of being hard on you this morning, but, but shouldn't we maybe stop and ask ourselves, why am I not willing to serve whenever and wherever? Should we not stop and ask ourselves, like, why am I not willing to give exactly what God has called me to give and not do it because the pastors have told me to do it, but with joy in my heart? Can we just stop playing games? Should we not just stop and ask ourselves, I mean, like, really, like, what am I doing here? Like, do, have I really met this God? Some of you in here, here's my fear, is that you know about God, but you do not know God. You have all of the concepts of the Christian faith, but you do not know personally the God of the Christian faith. Some of you have heard this story before, but when I was 18 years old, I had some buddies that won a Battle of the Bands concert and had an opportunity to play in front of a uh, Arrowhead music festival, a festival with great bands like Tommy Lee, <laughs> Salava, uh, Ingram Hill. And um, I was there with them, and they were rubbing in my face all week long how they had these like second-row seats for free, and they were going to get to be at the concert. And Anyways, I decided to sneak backstage. And don't judge me. This is my BC days. This is before Christ. And so, like, I snuck backstage, and, and nobody ever asked me to leave. And so, actually, what was really cool is after the first band played, the band came up to me and they said, hey, man, we need you to help us carry stuff off the stage. And this is sold out at the Convocation Center. And so, like, my friends had no idea I was behind the stage. So I'm actually walking out with a guitar being like, nice seats, buddies. What's up? You know? And they're like, what are you doing? How did you do? You know, it's like, it's super cool. And you know, as I'm sitting backstage, eventually Tommy Lee comes out because he's headlining the show. Most of you know Tommy Lee, big rock uh, legend, and he stands right beside me. And I look, I'm like, hey, what's up, Tommy? I said, what's up, dude? And then he walked on, and he went on the stage, and he rocked out. Now, for the next two years, when people ask me about Tommy Lee, how do you think I acted? Oh, man, yeah, I know everything about him. We're BFF. Me and Tommy Lee, dude, we're like this. What do you want to know about him? Favorite color, favorite thing to eat? I'll tell you, like, we hung out, man. Like, we go way back. Problem is, I mean, I, I, my encounter with Tommy Lee was like this. And see, the reason I share that is because some of you in here, I fear you know God like I know Tommy Lee. You do not know him personally. And if the sermon ended here, you should walk out in shame and guilt and fear and be like, well, okay, that was encouraging. Glad I got out of bed for that. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. 
You don't have to leave with your relationship with God being that way. Because the same God who flew towards Isaiah, who moved towards him, has moved towards you by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to come and to rescue and redeem and ultimately restore you so that you can have a relationship with the Father. A personal relationship. When we look in this story, we see Isaiah with a burning coal moving his way. And Isaiah thought he was going to fall under the judgment of God. Right? He confesses his sin. He thinks, okay, here comes God's wrath on my sin. But in verse 6, if you look again, this is so key. If you're just reading it in your morning study, you'd probably skip right over it. But in verse 6, where does it say the coal came from? Where does it say it come from? Does it say in here? From the altar. Now what we know then is that this is a coal that was used to burn a sacrifice that was given for a substitute for sin. And so what that means then is as this coal came towards Isaiah, when it touched his lips, rather than him having to receive God's fury, he was able to taste God's forgiveness. And it changed his life. The rest of his life, after tasting the forgiveness of God, he wanted to give it to telling others about how they can now experience the same forgiveness. And in one of his most beautiful prophecies, in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3 through 6, here's what he prophesied. He said, talking about the one who would come to offer forgiveness to us, the one who could come to bring us into a relationship with God. He says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All of us are like sheep who have gone astray. All of us have turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah here was prophesying about Jesus Christ. The one who centuries later would come and lay down his perfect life as a sacrifice on our behalf. Who would be a substitute for our sin. Jesus Christ, despite the fact that he never sinned, he took on the fire of God's wrath for sinners like you and like me. So that now, rather than getting the death we deserve, we can stand holy and blameless and accepted for all eternity in the perfect presence of God. It's the greatest news on the planet. The reality is, guys, the Bible says all of us are born dead in our sins. All of us, Ephesians 2 says, are born objects of God's wrath. We are all born deserving of hell. And listen, guys, that is not because God is bad. It is because we are bad. And when you see the holiness of God, you realize this. And the good news is that rather than God leaving us in our sinfulness, thanks be to God, in His great mercy, He has made a way for you and for me to experience the forgiveness and the freedom that we all need and we long for through the perfect life and death and resurrection of Jesus. What that means now is, listen, no matter how you came in here, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you can today know the God that Isaiah knows. You can know the God that I know. Some of you in here, I know you were like me. 
growing up in a church, you see people raising their hands, you hear a preacher talk and proclaim the gospel passionately, you hear people talk about diving into the Word and praying, you start to even wonder yourself, is this fake? Are these people deceived? Is this just a show? Because I don't feel any of that. I've never experienced that myself. Maybe that's where you are this morning, but guys, I'm telling you, it does not have to stay that way. I pray that today, if that is you, if you just know about God, but you do not know Him personally, that that changes. I pray that for someone in here this morning, this might be the morning where you have a personal encounter with God. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be given eyes finally to see Him as He really is. That yes, you will see you are a sinner deserving of hell, but praise be to God through Jesus. Now when you confess that sin to Him, you can be forgiven, you can be freed from it, and you can experience the love of Christ poured out for you for all eternity. When I ask that you stand with me this morning, we're going to pray together. Our band's going to come forward and lead us in another song. I'm going to ask, though, before you start shuffling around and thinking about where you're going to go eat and all that good stuff, I'm going to ask that you just bow your heads and let's take a time to reflect on these words. Father, would you please, the power of your Spirit, cut through the distractions in our minds right now. Would you center our hearts on you? Would you fix our attention on the cross? Father, I pray for each person who is here today. If there is someone who is religious, they probably do a whole lot of good stuff. And they are deceived by their works. They work for you, but they do not worship you. They work for you, but they do not walk with you. I pray that through the power of your Spirit, that you will show them who you really are. That you will awaken in them a desire to not just do stuff for you, but to know you personally. To see that you really are who you say you are. I pray for those who are here that maybe are carrying guilt and shame right now over their sinfulness that they will realize they do not have to walk out if you're in shame and guilt, no matter what they have done, no matter how much time has been wasted, no matter what they have touched or what they have looked at or what they have said. Father, you are the God of redemption. You are the God who is able to take even the worst of sinners and cleanse us and use us ultimately for your glory. And so I pray that happens this morning, that you will take one, that you will take us, that you will start our hearts towards you and that you will use this ultimately for the good of this city and the world around us and for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.